everybody got a seat. We can ask everybody to move in. Was there really anybody in the front? If anybody wants in the front, the front row is empty. Spit section up here. <laughs> hey, can y'all keep a secret? I'm trying to see y'all. Can y'all keep a secret? Okay, don't tell anybody this, but in the second service, we're going to do a few things we're not doing in the first service. Don't tell anybody, okay? Don't tell anybody. You can't tell them because it won't be a surprise. We have three graduates that didn't make our graduate recognition a few weeks ago. Uh, it's the Merlots. There's three of them, and we're going to be celebrating them. So don't tell them, but we're going to celebrate them in the second service. All right, everybody? Also, uh, we're going to be celebrating. i make sure he's not in here. Y'all don't know, but I really can't see y'all on Sunday mornings. I just look like, I pretend like I'm looking. So if you think I'm preaching at you, I'm just preaching at the darkness out there. It's God speaking to you, not me. But, uh, hey, uh, Brenton Stamper served as our, our interim youth pastor for eight months. He made a six-month commitment to serve our students, and he did so in an exemplary way. Right? It's truly. Yeah. And, but don't tell him we're going to do this because he doesn't know. We're giving him a nice gift, and we are presenting him with a certificate of license, and what that is, a license to ministry, what that means is that we have clearly seen that that man is called, uniquely called by God, into the gospel work. And so we're going to be presenting that to him. Don't tell him because it's a surprise, all right, everybody, up here? All right. And don't tell anybody this either, but I am not ashamed about this, but um, I, every once in a while... I, I enjoy uh, and I need a good massage. Now, don't, don't look at me like some of you men, like, you, like you, that's only for the girly men. No, no, I, I, I have back issues. My, my back is real tight. I have herniated disc in my lumbar. I have, I've had a dislocated SI joint, and uh, I have two uh, dysfunctional SI joints now. So my back tends to be really tight. And so to get a really good, deep Massage every once in a while it goes a long way for me. So me and my wife, it's a true story, y'all. This is, I don't make this up. Sometimes you might think that preachers make stories up. This is a true story. About a month ago, I went with my wife on a pastor retreat, specifically a church planting pastor retreat. And uh, our state convention does this every year, and it's, it's a different place every year. But I went away with my wife with about 100 other church planters in the state of Texas. And we went of all places to... Uh, north, of, north of Austin to a place called Kalahari. How many of you guys have been there? Kalahari Resort. It's a big water park, and there was, it was really great. We, we went and did all the re- rides from, they closed at, I think, uh, 8 or like 9, I think. We got there at 8 in, in the evening and rode every single ride. There was nobody in line. Me and Jennifer just went on all the slides, and it was great. And we got poured into by some really good people. We spent time in worship. But one thing that we splurged on while we were there, we decided we would go get a massage. Now, these are expensive there at Kalahari, but you go get a massage. And, uh, like, we were so excited about this. We just got to relax, got to go to this high-end uh, place where you have a therapist. So, you, you know, you go, I don't know if you've ever been to a place like that, but you go and you have to change into this robe, and, and that's really awkward. And, and then you have, they give you these shoes that are never the right size. You know, they're like, I'm, these shoes were like clown shoes that they gave me. They were like this, like, like you just put them on, you can hardly walk. And I kind of shimmied to the waiting room. And it's just real nice. There's some nice music playing in the background, real relaxing. And you wait for your therapist. So here I am with Jennifer. We're in our robes, which is fine. But there's a few other people in the room, also in the robes, which is awkward. Let's be honest. And... We're waiting, and there's this sweet lady that comes in. I didn't know her name, but she said, is Jennifer here? She's kind of quiet. 
And that was Jennifer's massage therapist. And Jennifer's like, I'm gone. And so she left. Like, there she went. And about, I had to wait about five more minutes. And, and to show the picture, like, there was this door, and there was this tiny lady kind of halfway to the door. She put her head in the door, and she said, is Jennifer here? Okay. And then my time came, door opened, and from the top of the door, there's a head that comes in. And there's a guy who says, is Justin here? <laughs> and he says, my name is Reggie. You ready? But seriously, that's exactly how it sounded. And so Reggie was, was a black man. And he was about six foot eight, y'all. And you may, you may put yourself in my shoes. I'm like, this is going to be good. Because like, I like a deep massage. And, and so we went in and like this guy... I, he, I asked him how long he'd been doing it. He's probably around 50 years old. He said he's been doing this for 25 years. And again, I was like, man, this guy knows what he's doing. If somebody's been doing something for 25 years, you probably know what you're doing. And he began to stick his, like, I'm laying down, on, face down on, on, this, on this bench. And he, he begins to massage my head. He doesn't need two hands, y'all. It's like, <laughs> serious. I mean, like, it goes all the way around my head. And, I mean, I'm not, like, he, he put his hand around my back, and, and he took his hand like this, put his hand around my back. And, like, you know, <laughs> I'm not as thin as I used to be, y'all. I, I, back in the day, I had a 28-inch waist. I no longer have a 28-inch waist. And when he put his hands around me, it was like his hands went all the way. Like, it just, ra- his hands were just gigantic. And his Reggie, Reggie. Like, <laughs> you know. And I was like, it was really good. It was very relaxing. He knew what he was doing. Like he, my back was so, the tension was just gone in my back. And it was exactly what I needed, y'all. And I'm just thinking, like, man, this was just good. And went into this holding area and found Jennifer there. And then another church planner friend, we were just kind of relaxing near the hot tub. Another guy came in that was a church planner. He's like, he's like, you have Reggie? I was like, yeah, I had Reggie. I had Reggie too. He's like, that guy has the hands of God. That's what he said. <laughs> And it reminds me of when I went to vacation Bible school. I was trying to figure out how to connect all of this behind me to what I'm going to talk about today, all right? When I went to vacation Bible school, we didn't have Mr. Potato Head or any of these kind of things. But uh, we did sing that song that I know you've heard before. He's got the whole world in his hands. Yeah, you know that song. As I thought about today, I thought about one key statement Today really is the foundation. Today we're laying a foundation for the book of Colossians. I, I cannot go into depth into anything that we're going to talk about today. I guarantee you, you're going to have to come back in the coming weeks to, so we can kind of unpack some of these things that are, that are, that are deep and, and worth spending time dwelling on. I don't have that time uh, today. Today we're just laying a foundation. But here's the, the key for today that I want us to think about. It, it is this. Because... God has his hands wrapped around the world. We would be wise to wrap our lives around him. Think about that, okay? Because God, specifically Jesus, we're going to be reading about today, who is God, because Jesus has his hands around the world, we would be wise We would be wise. We don't have to. We're all given a choice. We would be wise to wrap our lives around him. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to begin today in verse 9. And so a few weeks ago, we had our our first message on this. It's written by 
Paul. He had a little bit of help from Timothy. He'd been mentoring Timothy, and he's writing to Colossae, which is a a smaller town comparatively to other books that, that letters that he wrote to. And he had never been there, but he had heard from this guy named Epaphras, who most likely started this church in Colossae. We talked about um, life-giving, fruitful relationships a few weeks ago. And Epaphras had poured into his hometown of Colossae and brought the hope of Jesus to his hometown. And, and God was blessing that with, with gospel fruit. But Epaphras had also told Paul uh, of what was going on, and, and we call it nowadays the Colossian heresy, that, that there was some things going on about truth and, and people's belief about who God is and who Jesus is that, that didn't quite line up with, with the reality, the truth of who Jesus really is. And so a lot of what we're going to talk about is Paul writing to address those things specifically. But today we're not going to address those things specifically uh, Paul, instead, he kind of wants to lay a, frown, a framework for us uh, today. It's not, we're not going to talk about the one by one, but we're going to talk about uh, the basics. Like, let's build a foundation. And he knew this, if they could just understand who Christ was, who Christ is, and why Christ came, it would solve all these problems that they were dealing with. If they could just wrap their minds around the truth of Christ, that firm rooting in, in who Christ is, who he was, who he is, and what he came to do. If they could just know that with firmness, with security, then all the other problems would be fixed. It's kind of like guys who in back in the day were... We're using the, the, the stars uh, to navigate at night. Maybe they're in a boat, and they would look for one specific star. What star would that be? That would be the North Star, because they knew if they could find the North Star, they could navigate where they needed to go. They, there, were, there were things they needed to keep their boat away from. There were shallow areas. There were rocky areas. There were other calamities that they could run into. But if they could just find the North Star, they could steer around and navigate to, to where they need to go because they could take it to the bank. The North Star is there, and they could navigate around it. So, so Paul today gives us a, a foundation, a rootedness, so to speak. Is if we could just get this, if the Colossians could just get this right, I mean, that will change everything. The title of the message today is called Specifically Supreme. Specifically Supreme. Because the idea, just as Blake has already said, the idea, the theme of this book of Colossians is the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is above all. He is in us, and he's working through us, but he is above all. Now, I thought about that word supreme. At, at, growing up, I thought about, when did I ever use the word supreme? I can only think of one time, well, two times. Uh, it's when I went to Taco Bell and I ordered a burrito supreme. I use that word. Now, we know, and uh, like, there's a bean burrito. That's a regular burrito. We get the burrito supreme. That's got everything, right? They pour everything into the burrito, burrito supreme, or or you get a you go to Pizza Hut and you order a supreme pizza, right? That's the, my my mom always got a supreme pizza. What does that mean? They just throw everything on, right? It's everything. They got it all on. Now now this this word supreme is akin to that, but on a whole nother level. You ever heard nother? 
That's like another is like here, another is like here. Whole nother level. This supremacy of Christ that we're talking about means that, that there is nothing that compares. That, 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 that when we say that Jesus is supreme, he is matchless. There is, there is nothing above him. He reaches the level of super, above a super. It, it means that, that this language says that he is the greatest power. He is the greatest authority. He is the greatest rank. He is, we could say, the ultimate. He is the almighty, the ultimate. And so let's read together. Honestly, as we read this, it's just one of those passages of scriptures that that uh, I, I'm not even sure that any of us like, can, can really completely comprehend all the rich truths that we're about to read. And I, I, I feel like unworthy to even read it as I read it. It's just one of those passages that's like, man, this is so good. It's so good. But I know the Holy Spirit's going to be working in our hearts, giving us ears to hear exactly what he wants us to hear. And so let's read Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, this is Paul writing, he had heard from Epaphras all the things that God was doing, the fruits of the gospel that were happening in the Colossians. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his, of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. He is here. Paul's heart for the church. He wants them to experience all of who Christ is. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. There's been this transaction, this transformation that we were not with the Father and now we are. He's giving us this new inheritance as saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Whoa, y'all, that's so good. That's so good. But we can't stop there. We can't stop there. All that's just amazing. And we're going to unpack a lot of that as we walk through this book of Colossians. But look at what it says about this one who has granted us forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or, do- or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, there's a lot there, y'all. All of that. Like, this is so doctrinally dense. We could spend hours talking about it. We won't, I promise. Not hours. I may go a little long today, but not that long. Not that long. But, but there's one, one little verse there in verse 10. That One little word specifically that really stuck out to me as I read this. And it may not have you, but it did me. Because I, I know a little bit about um, 
you know, the words that, that are in the original language. So I, when, I, when, I, when I heard that word of Paul, he's praying over the church of Colossae to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. I just was driven to go find, like, what is that word? And so as I looked at that word, here's the word. The word is peripateo, okay? Now, para, P-E-R-A, where do we see that word? In math, we talk about a perimeter, right? Per, peri, around. And so what does it mean to peripateo? It means literally pateo is to walk. And so, so here, here's the truth that I find is so good. And here, here to me, as we think about the supremacy of Christ, it's not just to acknowledge and know about the supremacy of Christ, although that is essential. That is, that is not a non-essential thing. It is so important that we understand who Christ is, what he has done for us, and his purpose for our life. That's so important. But we can't just stop there. We have to do what Paul is, is praying that, that these people would experience, that they would walk peripateo in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so literally, peripateo means to walk around. And so if this is the Christ that we're trying to, to wrap our mind around today, y'all, okay, so just, which obviously we can't put here. I mean, it's just massive. Well, let's just say, let's just, today, here is Christ. What peripateo means to, to walk worthy, to, to walk worthy of Christ is to, in practice in our life, to center our life around him and just to walk around him. Think about that. Peripateo is we, because Christ is supreme, he is the only one worthy of doing this, centering our life around him, that he is the center, and we are to peripateo, to walk around continually, to orient our life around this Christ that is supreme. To me, that is the invite today. And to me, that was the deep challenge for my life as I thought about what would God have us us talk about today. It is this. There is a challenge. There is an invite. If we're going to experience the fullness of Christ, which is what Paul's prayer is for the church, right? What are we to do? We are to orient our life around Christ. We are in everything to orient our life around Christ. All of Christ, nothing more, nothing less. The true Christ, the supreme Christ. And then he goes on to describe in verses 15 to 20 who this Christ is. Let's just go back and read it. Verse 14 says he's the forgiving one. Verse 15 says he's the image of the invisible God. Verse 15 also says he's the firstborn of all creation. I'm going to come back and explain that one in a moment. He also says in verse 16, the one by whom all things were created. Verse 17, the one who is before all things. Also in verse 17, the one who held and holds all things together. Verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church. In verse 18 also, he is the beginning. In verse 18, the firstborn from the dead. He is the one who has preeminence. He is the one in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, verse 19. He is the one through whom God has chosen to reconcile all things and all people, verse 20. And he is the one who has made peace through his blood on the cross. It's that Christ that we are to peripateo, 
that we are to center our life, that we are to practice this. And so I want to narrow all those things down that I just read. There's 12 of those that I just read. I want to narrow them down to three things. How is Christ supreme in this passage? The first is this. We find in verse 15 and 16, he is supreme as creator. And this is what that means, that he is the supreme creator. He is, that this is what that means. There is no other creator. There is no other creator. He alone is creator. Now, also, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, because that is what Paul is hearkening back to. He's going back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, which says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created man. He, God, God created that, that this is what, that, that he is the image, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Now we get from that a really cool doctrine that, that we have the Imago Dei in us, that we are created in the image of God. So what's the difference between us and Jesus? If Jesus is the, in the, he is the image of the invisible God. What is the difference between who Jesus is? And if we are a Mago Dei, that we are created in the image of God, what is the difference? Well, there are some things about the character, character of God which were communicated and passed down to us. We could call those things communicable characteristics. But there are many, many things that were incommunicable to us that were not. So what are the communicable things? Communicable things, the goodness, justice, knowledge, love, truth, wisdom, mercy. We go on. Those characteristics about who God is, we all have those in us. What are those that are incommunicable? Well, being unchangeable. I'm not. I don't know about you. I'm not that. Being infinite. I'm not. I have limited power. Uh, being all-powerful, being all-present, being all-knowing. Man, I wish I was, right? But man, I'm so far from that. Self-existent, self-sufficient. Like, I wish it, but, but i got to go home and get a brisket sandwich because i got brisket in the sandwich because I'm not self-existing. I, I need these things to, to help me. I need something from the outside to provide for me. And so Paul is making a really po- important point here about this image thing when it comes to Jesus and us. Paul made this point that, that Christ reveals God. We are God's image bearers. We are God's image bearers. Here's us. Jesus is God. That's the difference. Did you get it? We are created in the image of God. We are his image bearers. What Paul is saying is distinctly different, that Jesus is not an image bearer. He is God. Does that make sense? That's the difference. We're here, image bearer. Jesus is here. He is God. And that's what Paul is saying. He is the image of the invisible God. When people see Jesus, they are seeing God himself. And I know this is so hard for us to understand. Now, we're talking about deep, wide stuff uh, today, but, but the writer of Hebrews says it in a different way. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. We could also go to John chapter 14 when Philip's having a conversation with Jesus and he's wrestling with all that Jesus is and all of who God is, what it means to follow Jesus. And, and he 
ask Jesus, Lord, in verse 8 of chapter 14 of John, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. You hear that? Like, just show us the Father. I want to know. I want to see the Father. I want to know what he looks like, and that will be enough. And Jesus responds with this, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. You see, he's the image. He is God. When people saw Jesus, they were seeing God, God, the Son. And so that's the idea of image in verse 15. And it goes on to give that phrase, the firstborn of all creation. I want to unpack that for a moment. That word firstborn is used twice in our passage. And it's used the same in two different ways, but it's the same definition. If you were to read that just on the surface level, what would you think? The firstborn of all creation, that that Jesus was created, right? That's what it sounds like. Like he was the first of creation. He was created first. And we would be misunderstanding what God's word is saying. Because that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about the order here of creation. What it's talking about is the rank of creation. Are you with me? It's not an order that he was the firstborn. Firstborn meant rank. And so to describe that, to help us understand that, that same idea was presented to David when he was to become king in Psalm 89, verse 27. He was given that same language. God had chosen David to be king, covenanted with him, and he was going to establish his offspring, was going to bless that offspring too. One day, in that offspring would come the Messiah and build his throne. Psalm chapter 89, verses 2 to 4 and verse 20. I'm not going to read all those, but you can read those. Uh, I just gave the short of those. But verse 27 says this. Here's what it says in verse 27 of Psalm 89. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. That's the word. I will make him the firstborn. Now, there's a few things that we need to make note of. How many brothers and sisters did David have? Well, he had, we don't know how many sisters. How many brothers did he have? He had eight. Oh, he had seven. He was one of eight. And what was he? He was the youngest. So what it's not saying there is you are the youngest, and I'm going to make you the oldest. That's impossible. He'll always be the youngest, right? David was always going to be the youngest. That's not what it's talking about there. It's not talking about I'm going to make you now the oldest. It. it it, it means that I'm going to make you the ranking one, the highest ranking one. And, and he wasn't saying that you're going to be the first king, right? Because we know that he wasn't the first king. Who was the first king of the people of Israel? His predecessor, Saul, right? Saul was the first king of the United Kingdom, right? And so he wasn't changing the order. He was changing the rank. And that's what it's saying there. It's not saying that Jesus was created. Jesus wasn't created. He just said that he was creator, right? And so he's the firstborn. He is the high-ranking one. It goes on in verse 16, provides the ground of what that supremacy, that ranking looks like. It says everything in creation is done by him, through him, and for him. Jesus made everything. Nothing was created apart from the hands of Jesus. It's almost like when you have something in your life, we probably could find it if I took my shoes off and if I were to look, they most likely, and I haven't done this, I probably should have done this, but if I were to take somewhere somewhere I'd take my shoes and I would find that little label somewhere there's a fine print there and what what do you think it says made in 
Probably China. I mean, there's like a 99% chance that my shoes, I haven't looked at them, but there's a 99% chance that my shoes have a stamp on them that say, Made in China. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus is the supreme creator and that there is not one thing in the world that doesn't have the stamp of Jesus on them that says made by Christ, made through Christ, and made for Christ. Let that set in, y'all. Hmm. Luke writes in the book of Acts, in him we live and move and have our being. So good. The story is told of some farmers that like to make light of things because they were dealing in, with uh, a really hard situation in, his, in history in the Soviet Union. They lived in the Soviet, Soviet Union. The peasant farmers would, would, uh, would have this joke. And the joke was the story of a, of a, a Russian, or a Soviet Union official, communist official that would come in and, and he would ask the farmer, how, how is the crop this year? How's the potato crop this year? And and the farmer just began to say, oh, it's wonderful. It's so big, it reaches to the very foot of God. And the communists said, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know we're communists and we're atheists. And you can't talk about there is, what do you mean? There is no God. And, he, and the farmer says, oh, that's the point. No God, no potatoes. <laughs> See, it doesn't matter whether we believe in God. God created. Jesus is the creator. Someone once said, wrote a poem that goes like this, part of God's name divinely stands on every work impressed, each in the labor of his hands by each his power confessed. Everything we see, everything we experience has a stamp of Christ on it. And here's the really cool thing before I go on to the next. Before, I can't go to the next before I acknowledge this. Here's the cool thing about you and me. We are the culmination of his creation. You are God's masterpiece. You, despite what this world says, what it means that Jesus has created you is that you are God's, Jesus' specific, wonderful, amazing masterpiece. And so when, when he describes this to the Colossians, he's saying, don't listen to what the world around you says. You are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works, right? That's what it says in the book of Ephesians. Like you are his handiwork. You are valuable. You are good. Jesus is a good creator. He's a good creator. And that leads to the second, because it's not like Jesus is this creator who created with his hands and then took his hands off of his creation. The second point in verse 7 to 18 is that he is the supreme sustainer. Is that, that Jesus didn't create and then take his hands and say, hey, you guys, just figure it out. That's actually the opposite. That Jesus is intricately involved with his creation. And, and how is he intricately involved? Look at verse 17 and 18. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The hands of Jesus are literally right now holding 
us together. And then for us as the church, he is the head of the body of the church. He is not only holding us together as sustainer, he sustains us by leading his church to good and better things. And he's still doing that, y'all. You might, you might think that I'm the leader of this church, but listen, that is just not the case. There will never be a man that will be the leader of this church. Christ will always be the head of the church. And that's good news. That I'm going to fail, but he doesn't. That's such good news to me. This doesn't, this, listen, what God does among us isn't primarily based on what we do. It's based on who he is and who he always will be. His hand is on us, and he is sustaining his church. He is sustaining his creation. I could go on and on about this. I'm going to talk more about it as we continue to unpack the book of Colossians. But, but here's the irony that Paul is kind of pointing out to the Colossians. Part of, part of what the Colossian heresy was is they misunderstood who Jesus was, a big part of it. And so what he's saying is, hey, this one that you misunderstand, this one that you are even kind of blaspheming, he is even giving you the breath to do so. He's even holding your, you up right now and sustaining your life. He's sustaining the world. Without his hand, we would all be gone. We would all just not exist. He is holding us together. And it goes on to say, so that in all things, he might be preeminent. What does that mean, this word uh, preeminent. That's the word that we've used already multiple times. The word is supreme. Some of your versions say that he is that he will be of the first importance. That he will be the super, uh, the ultimate. It means that he will have the highest status. That there is no one greater. He is the sustainer of all things. And here's the truth of his supremacy: there is no other. There is no other entity that sustains us. There is none other. It's not us. It's not some other God that they were wrestling with. It's not some other force out there. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. He is supreme. And then not only is Jesus involved in sustaining us, we get to the third thing we find in verse 19 to 20, that Jesus is the supreme rescuer. I love that. Not only does he hold us up, not only does he, even the life that we have, the, the breath that we, that we have, he, he sustains that. He's involved with us, but he's even deeper involved as the one who rescues us. Rescues us from the place that we would go without him. Complete separation from God. He is the rescuer, and here's the truth of his supremacy. There is no other. There, there is no other rescuer. Jesus is creator. He is sustainer, and this passage just gives us so much depth that is doctrinally dense. Paul affirms in verses 19 and 20 the incarnation that God took on flesh. He affirms the bodily resurrection. That's a big one that they were struggling with. He gives us glimpses of this Colossian heresy that we're going to continue to unpack. He affirms the doctrine of substitutionary atonement, that we needed someone to take our place and pay the price for us. That's a big word. We're going to come back to that as well. And he affirms that salvation is available to everyone, to everyone. It's available to anyone who might choose to trust and put their faith in the rescuer, the reconciler. So Paul stacks the deck in his supremacy language. He says preeminent, 
He uses that word supreme there. But there's a word there, that word for reconcile. It's a very interesting word in the, lang- in the original language. Because the regular word for reconcile is the word catalasso. And reconciliation involves a change in relationship from bad to good. That there was something broken, right? And then something happens that causes there to be healing. That, that it was broken and now it's good and whole. And so something has to happen. There was enmity and now there's friendships. It was often news of nations where they were at war and there was reconciliation and now there is peace. But Paul doesn't just use that word reconcile. He adds the word apo, apo. So it's apokatalasso. And why is that important? What does apo mean? Apo means from or away from. So here's the idea. It's that language of supremacy of Christ. Is that not only is did Jesus reconcile, he reconciled like no one else could. That this is an, an above. This is a, a separate. This is a holy reconciliation that only one who is supreme could do. And he has done this. That's what it says in verses 19 and 24. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile, reconcile to himself. That's the word reconcile. Apokalasso. That complete reconciliation. Upper, over reconciliation. Supreme reconciliation to himself. What's the word? All things. Whether on earth or in heaven. Making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, for the Colossians, that kind of forgiveness that we're talking about was radical. This was a radical forgiveness. This is radical forgiveness for me. The the kind of reconciliation it's talking about is, is, is radical forgiveness. Several years ago, there was a gathering of religious leaders in Delhi, India, from all different kind of religions to discuss things, to, to have conversations about a lot of different things. And there was a major non-Christian religion uh, leader who, who asked, uh, who told a missionary, said this, tell me one thing your religion can offer the Indians that my mine can't. And the missionary shouted at the top of his lungs, forgiveness, forgiveness. It's the one thing that separates what we have in Christ versus what the world has in anything else. Christ offers us supreme reconciliation. The British Bible teacher and lecturer David Pawson says, I have talked to the most devout Muslims who pray five times a day, have journeyed to Mecca, have fasted during Ramadan, and are more devout than many Christians. But when I ask, do you know if your sins are forgiven? They've said, we don't. We just have to hope for the best. Well, Colossians chapter 1 gives us an incredible hope. It gives us an incredible security that Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the God in the flesh, he is God by whom all things were created. The forgiveness that he offers, he signs, he has sealed, and he has delivered to each one of us. And listen, here's what Paul is saying. We can take that to the bank. If you are in Christ, you never have to wonder whether you have complete forgiveness in him. It is paid. That's what Jesus said. Paid in full. To tell us die. It is finished. Paid in full. Listen, I'm a deep sinner. I'm a horrible sinner and so are you. That just sounds so bad. 
But this, this is the truth. This is the, the incredible hope in life that's in this. That it's, it's, it's not that that's okay. It's that it is paid for. That that's the supreme reconciler has paid for that. And so there's this incredible truth from Scripture. Here's the phrase that we, that we use. There is the, the phrase security of the believer. Security of the believer. There, there, there is this, this, this truth about who Christ is that, that our security is not how strong our belief is in him. It's how strong the one who, the one, it's how strong the one is who we have our belief in. Does that make sense? And so security doesn't, it's not based on us. It's not based on me because I change. It's based on him and he doesn't. He is supreme. He is over us. And listen, that's the best news I've heard all day. There, there, there today, no matter what you have done, listen, there is forgiveness. Complete, utter, life-changing forgiveness in Christ alone. Because he alone is supreme as creator. He alone is supreme as sustainer. And he alone is supreme as a rescuer, a reconciler. The band's going to come up. We're going to have a closing song. And the song is King of Kings. Like what a greater, what, I mean, what an incredible song to sing as we're talking about Jesus being above and that we're going to intentionally place him above. And to me, that's, that's the response. Like how do, we, how do we respond to the truth that is so vast and so deep that we're, reading and meditating on today, trying to wrap our minds around how do we respond? Well, can we do this? Growing up, I grew up going to a church that would do this every Sunday. They, the pastor would always say, so let's take a moment, end of the service, let's take a moment, let's just close your eyes. So let's just practice what I practiced growing up. So go ahead and close your eyes. And, and I would do this. So close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Everybody but me. I want to make sure you close your eyes. So close your eyes and just draw a circle around yourself. There's nobody but you in this circle. Just you alone. So as you draw this circle around yourself, really a moment to just think about just internally where you are in Christ. And as you draw that circle, I'm drawing one around me right now, and I'm going to ask this question to myself in my circle. Is Christ supreme in every way in my life? Am I practicing what Paul was talking about and centering my life on the supremacy of Christ? Well, what does that look like practically? Just in this moment, as you have this circle around you, here's some things that you can think about in this time of reflection. Is he supreme in your marriage? Is he supreme in your family? Are you raising your children for the purposes of Christ? Is he the center of that? Is he the center of your marriage? Is is Christ and Jesus the center? Are you walking your marriage out with Jesus at the center? Where both husband and wife are seeking Jesus and then doing it together. Is he supreme in your friendships? Are you seeking to serve the friends in your life in a redemptive, Christ-centered way? Is he supreme in your church? Some of you are visiting today. If 
this is your church, you call this your church family? Are you helping making Christ supreme in this church, not seeking what you can gain, but rather seeking how you can serve Christ's people and serve this community that he has called us to serve and be light and hope to? Is he, is he supreme in your calendar? This is a tough one. What does your calendar look like? Is Jesus central? Does your calendar hinge around him and his purposes? Is, is he supreme at your work? Is he supreme in your money? Over your bank accounts? Oh man, I went there. That's a tough one. Is he supreme in your speech? The way you talk? The things that come out of your mouth, does that reflect someone who is walking out a life that is centered on Christ? Is he supreme in your passions? Is he your greatest treasure? Is he what you think about when you have a moment in time in the day and you have a moment to think about what you want the most in that moment? Is he supreme in your hobby and the hobbies of your family? Is he the most important thing? Is he supreme in your purpose? He is the beginning and the end of why you exist, where you live for him and his glory and live for his name with the gospel on your lips and the holiness displayed in your life. You are living for God and God alone. Jesus is preeminent. He is supreme. He is above. My prayer today is that I would today grow, take some steps toward giving Jesus supremacy in my life. Would you do so as well? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for being never changing. Thank you for sustaining us with your hand. And Jesus, we just praise you for rescuing us, for giving us life, life eternal and life abundant. It's in your name we pray.